Welcome back to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. My name is Wayne Kimmel, managing partner of 76 Capital, the sports tech venture capital company. And on this show, I interview top sports entrepreneurs, athletes, and executives who are shaping and many times changing or have changed the sports business industry. Today, my guest is David Beckerman, the founder and, and of Starter, the incredible sportswear company that he built and he's going to tell the whole story of that. And I'm so excited to have David on our show. David, welcome to the 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show. Thank you, Wayne. Well, you certainly are our master at, at, at developing and, and maintaining relationships. Um, you have, you, you know, you, you've shared with me your relationship with so many commissioners of, of all the professional leagues. Are there any, you know, certain, whether it's David Stern, Gary Bettman, certain stories or, or memories that you have about, about those guys? Well, there was one with David, uh, who was a terrific marketeer. And I don't think I'm not, I don't know if he gets enough credit for uh, really making the sport uh, worldwide, as well as Gary, who was at the NBA and then later became commissioner in NHL, two brilliant, uh, um, uh, commissioners. Um, it was close to my 50th birthday. And uh, I don't know, maybe a month or two uh, prior to my birthday, I get a, a printed card or something from David. It was something going on at uh, uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I thought it was a charity thing, uh, black tie, and uh, hope to see you there. As we got closer to going, I had said to my wife, you know, I, I it's a charity thing. I'll make out a check. I, I, I don't need to. Well, she apparently called David. David picked up the phone and called me and said, aren't you kind of come to this thing? And I said, well, I wasn't planning. He said, I expect you there. So uh, I get to the Basketball Hall of Fame, surprise 50th birthday, there's David. Uh, I mean, um, he was terrific, yeah, just terrific. Uh, I mean, that's now, the story about him. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and after that, if I understand correctly, you are also on the the uh, as a board member at the Basketball Hall of Fame. I still am. You still um, are. Yeah. Uh, last week, uh, I was at a meeting. Jerry Colangelo is uh, uh, the president, uh, and it uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame has changed dramatically, dramatically in terms of the last ten years, twelve years. I mean, it is a very modern, up to date facility uh, that you can go back to and really enjoy it's a lot better than just putting a picture on the wall it's really a lot of fun what's it are you part of the the selection committee each year or how, how does that work uh no i'm not part of the selection committee yet uh in terms of uh, uh there's a vote that goes on uh, it comes to the board things are going on i mean 90 percent of it quite frankly is very obvious i mean Who's not going to vote for Michael Jordan or uh, Kobe or whoever? I mean, it's, uh, it's, but it's it's a terrific facility, and, and uh, the board is really starting to take off. We in the early days, um, I remember, uh, uh, you know, we had talked to them about, or I had talked to them about doing a high school tournament, um, and then I also remember having my architect. Do uh, uh, had an idea about changing the uh, the board and uh, the 
building and moving. Uh, I, I really was hoping that we could get uh, Mass Mutual to be part of it in terms of building a facility uh, next to the Hall of Fame in terms of uh, sports medicine. The key is, or the genesis of the idea was, get people to keep coming back or a reason to come back. And um, the sports thing didn't really happen, but what did happen is a new hall was built, uh, camps now, at, and, a, and a, then a showcase uh, grew, uh, outgrew the high school to college and all-star game. In fact, I was very fortunate. Uh, one year uh, I coached uh, the high school team, we, we ended up playing in it, uh, not because of me, because of Brandon Knight, quite frankly. Well, that, I, I definitely want to get into that. I mean, you know, you're, you were a, you, you've had some incredible success, you know, first as, as a business person at Starter and then as a coach in high school in both, you know, not only just in, in Connecticut, but also down in Florida as well. I mean, what was, what was your reasoning for wanting to, to, to coach all those years? Well, first of all, uh, we're wanting to coach initially. It's part of the frustration of not playing anymore. Part of it is the love of the game, a variety of things. I always looked at coaching uh, basketball and coaching employees as being on the same plane. Um, I, as a personal philosophy, I never asked anybody to do anything I wouldn't do. If I walked the floor and saw a snap or a button, I'd pick it up and I would expect you did. Um, I, I was very fortunate. Initially, I had coached uh, uh, growing up at the Jewish Community Center. And in 1979, uh, we won a national championship uh, in Washington, D.C. We had beaten Brooklyn, uh, Baltimore, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and then we ended up beating Washington, the host team. And after that, as the business grew, and it was difficult to fly back from meetings to be at practice and games or whatever. Um, so I, I took a, a year off or two years off. And then I got approached by a local school and asking me if I would consider um, coaching the, the school, Hamden Hall, which is a little private school. And I said, look, I have work, I can't. But they said to me, look, practices are not until five o'clock. Uh, so it was intriguing. I took over Hamden Hall. Uh, we were incredibly uh, fortunate in my 11 years there, 12 years there, we won eight New England championships, six in a row. Um, uh, great uh, school, terrific academic background. Most of our kids uh, there um, in terms of playing, uh, you know, got to the Ivy Leagues, uh, Penn, Yale, uh, Columbia. And then, uh, uh, you know, it, it grew and I uh, took another year off and I said by that time I was going to move to Florida during the winter time uh, back and forth and I did I went to uh, Florida and the bug got me again and I uh, went to a school called uh, I had gotten a call from a school called Pinecrest and we went Pinecrest was another academic school never had won anything in terms of basketball in terms of championships and uh I took over the team. I said, okay, great. And the first year, I think we were 14 and seven. Uh, didn't play, you know, real tough schedule or whatnot. The following year, I, 
I had known uh, about a young man, uh, two young men actually, one by the name of Eddie Way, who was a 6'3", 210-pound uh, kid and a, and a seventh grader who was going to go into the eighth grader that everybody talked about, which was a kid by the name of Brandon Knight. And uh, I developed a, a channel, so to speak. Uh, I talked, I, I had a relationship with a policeman uh, or uh, a Baptist minister or a recreational development. So I would always ask about not only a player, but the family background, who kids are, et cetera, et cetera. And their names always came up. Well, and I, I'd like to think this, and I know that uh, I get kidded by my friends when I say this. I don't believe I ever recruited a kid. I really don't. I believe that I've encouraged a kid and their families to take advantage of opportunities. And that's a little bit different in my mind than selling. Well, I remember uh, I got Eddie got in. Um, and then all of a sudden I met with Brandon and his dad. And I asked, I'll never forget this. I asked Brandon, I said, Brandon, how's your grades? And he said, well, I get all A's. And then I asked him the magic. And this kid I knew was a competitor. Uh, I said, uh, are you challenged? He says, what do you mean? I get all A's. I said, that's not what I asked you. I said, are you challenged? And he says, that's nah, real easy. I said, hey, I promise you this. If you come to Pinecrest, you will not be the smartest kid in the class. He looked at me, <laughs> never said a word. He came the following year. He started for me as an eighth grader. The school was a little hesitant because, you know, the social uh, reaction, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, end of the eighth grade, I remember a, a friend of mine, Greg Garendo, who was a at that time, uh, was a coach at Yale, I believe, as assistant coach. And right then and there, he, I asked him to come down into a clinic, which he did. We called UConn. That you got to keep your eye on this. Traveling forward uh, during uh, Brandon and Eddie's uh, uh, tenure at Pinecrest, uh, we ended up winning three state championships. Um, two with Brandon and Eddie, one with uh, later on with Travis. Uh, and um, Henry and um, so we, it was a terrific run there as well. Uh, Brandon, of course, ended up going to, he wanted to go to UConn, uh, but at the end of the day, he ended up going to uh, Kentucky, first round draft pick, played in the league's 10 years uh, and it was terrific. I mean, I, I, those kids uh, at Hamden Hall and at, at Minecraft uh, were really special in terms of what we did. I, one of the things that I'm most proud of it's to some, it's a silly thing. I've gone to 10 weddings, my wife and I, 10 weddings of kids throughout the years. And to me, that's special. That, that's really special. And, and, you know, it's interesting. You see a lot now with a, um, you know, a John Calipari, how he's, he's so prolific on, on, on Instagram and other types of social media platforms. And you see him going to weddings, spending time with his, current and former players and their families. And it's really special to hear that you've, you have, you've had that same kind of relationship with uh, your players over the years. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great opportunity. And, not, and from a business perspective, working with the kids, listening to what they liked, 
seeing what they liked um, really was, it was almost a informal focus group, if you will, as we built the company. Um, you know, by that time we were building, uh, going forward, I remember one day, uh, out of the blue, my receptionist called uh, my secretary, said, Mr. Knight is here. Uh, I don't know Mr. Knight. And they come back and she says, Mr. Knight from Oregon. I realized who that was. He had showed up unannounced. He and his, I think his president was a fellow by the name Donahue, I believe. And he'd come and he, he recognized that what we were doing was building a, a business and a brand wanted to know if I was interested in selling the company. Um, I really wasn't. Uh, he asked me to come out to Oregon. Uh, I was flattered, but I was also uh, curious. And I went out to Nike and it was unbelievable experience in terms of the campus and how we did things and whatnot. Um, ultimately, even though he was terrific and, uh, I felt it wasn't something that I was prepared to do, which meant I'd have to move. We had kids, uh, younger kids. Uh, I had almost 300 uh, people in New Haven here, and I knew that ultimately they'd lose their jobs and they helped me build the business and I wasn't gonna do that. And uh, so I, I turned them down. It had nothing to do with the finances. Uh, it was very, it was clear that uh, that was not gonna be an issue. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you look at the, you know, you, you, you had so much success in the world of sports over several decades and now we're, where we are today in, in 2023, there's, there's so much change and, and sort of so many things are in flux across the world of sports, whether it's high school sports, college sports, professional sports, the media side of things, sports betting's now illegal. You have name, image, and likeness and all those in the transfer portal and so many things that are happening within the within the world of sports today. What are, what are some of your thoughts and views on what's happening with sports today? Well, uh, my view in terms of the sports and the business relationship is as follows. All the things that you mentioned are happening. And there's one common thread between all of them, and that's money. It's all about money. Uh, the idea of building a business and sustaining that business um, and building it every day a little bit more and a little bit more, uh, from a league perspective, uh, it changed. Some of it is ownership. Some of it is saying, hey, look, we're not happy with X amount of dollars per year. You know, we make it, we make it on the TV revenue. Uh, how can we uh, get more revenue? Um, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's something that uh, needs to be adjusted. I don't know if it ever will. I know the NIL is, in my opinion, is a real dangerous uh, area because it clearly affects the mid-level uh, uh, school um, and it's pay for play. And that's totally against what the initial outcome should have been. Now people will say, well, why don't you just cap it? You know, let them, uh, only earn so much. Well, then you run into politics. You run into a situation is 
So you're saying that a kid can only make so much. Well, before he made nothing. And, and quite frankly, uh, you know, I, I would have done it in a level where it, 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 there's an even playing field. There's no even playing field here now. You, you've got the bigger schools who can uh, pay uh, a lot more than a mid-level school. I, I think ultimately, long-term, this is going to sound nuts. I wouldn't be surprised long-term these athletes become a paid employee of the university because I don't know where it's going. You get, you get an alumni now who, who's done very well financially and he says, you need that forward and, oh, it's going to take three or $400,000. You got it. Well, and you know, I, I'm not about to name coaches or schools, but you see it in the papers every day. A kid decommits from one school and all of a sudden he's going to another school and it's gotten way out of hand. And at some point, if it's not controllable, uh, it will be the demise of what we know today as the, the basis of college sports. It's, uh, it, it, and you, same thing with licensing. Uh, it, it's about, it's greed. That's really what it is. But I understand uh, a guy, the new owner has paid $6 billion, $6 billion for a team. He has to find a way to get a return on his investment. So it's a catch 22 situation. My only uh, thought process is, and it, obviously it's a little self-serving when I was in business, is that it should be done over time and, and so that you build a little bit, but this up quickly, uh, I, I think it can it, it can be destructive in a long-term basis. And, I mean, and you know, but some of the teams, uh, some of the stories I could tell you, uh, it's interesting, I've been asked to, uh, write a book on the company and me, and I've turned it down, turned it down. My family has asked me to do it, I, so I've agreed, and there's something that's coming out, uh, I don't probably in 24. But stories, everything from a wife of an owner not accepting certain colors of uniforms, you know, meaning, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's you take football example, there's, there's tearaways. Linemen's uh, uh, uniforms are different than a running back's. And sometimes you put Lycra in with nylon, et cetera, and they'll never match 100%, you know, the dyes. Well, I remember this particular wife really had trouble understanding. And uh, I had a call in the leagues. I said, listen, this is difficult. I can't, I, we can only do so much in terms of dyeing material. But there's a lot of things, even from a retail perspective. But you talk a lot about, you know, over your career, you know, and we've, we've hit on this several times. I think you're, you're about relationships and, and how important that's been from the early 70s, even up until today and what that's like. And when you look at the where sports is today and how the overall business of sports has, has truly become an asset class. I mean, these six billion dollar type you know, deals, the, you know, the types of deals that you're seeing with, with on a global scale with soccer and you have, you know, the, you know, the, the fact that you have now you know, the, some of the, 
the groups from the Middle East now coming in and investing in sports and, and taking over certain sports. I mean, there's just so much money and, and, and across everything. But I think the one thing that is, is interesting that you, you know, you've, you've really hit upon is there's, there's a, the, the core of it all comes down to the relationship between the owners, the players, the coaches, the the uh, you know the business partners of the leagues, and that's what really will be the you know the, the main thing that will drive sports forward moving forward. Yes, as long as there's an understanding that, uh, and this may sound a little naive, as long as there's an understanding that, you know, I've often said, get rich slowly, eat slowly, make love slowly everything should be done slowly if not you're going to get the bends you know and by that i mean is is that there's got to be a temperament to understand that uh that when you develop revenue and you just can't uh sustain certain growth levels every single year you've got to be able to understand how that's how, what the owners need, what the leagues need, at the same time, understand what a manufacturer needs. Um, and I just think that um, there's constant pressure, uh, often created by themselves, uh, saying, okay, this is my team. I remember, you know, uh, one particular owner of a team that I, I went with, uh, who will go nameless at the moment, um, we were required by the league in the NFL, for example, to spend so much dollars throughout the whole league. So I had season tickets for, I don't know, 12 teams and signage and et cetera, et cetera. Well, this particular owner had knew because it was known within the leagues, how much money we had to spend totally. And he said to me, well, I want you to spend that amount of money with us. I said, well, how am I going to do that and pay? What do I do about the other owners? Well, I don't care about the other owners or the other leagues. And that, and that kind of dynamic was very difficult to maneuver. Um, and well, I guess basically what I'm saying, which at, at the end of the day, you really have to have patience. If you want to uh, create wealth, uh, it's got to be slowly uh, homegrown, if you will. You don't learn everything in a day and you don't make uh, a, a dollar in a, in a month. It's got to be nurtured. And quite frankly, uh, uh, th that's not something that is built into the formula in terms of slowly growing. Uh, you know, uh, I remember as a kid uh, what my mom was to do and how we saved uh, you know, she used to have these little boxes you put money in for uh, food and insurance and charity. And, and you become to appreciate it a lot more. I, I just, I, I look at it, and I don't want to sound cynical, but I look at it and I, I, I don't think that's, if you look at today, the licensed business, it is substantially different. Right now, now it's a direct response uh, one company, Fanatics, probably has majority of the business and the individual licensees, for the most part, who are creative and entrepreneurial, are not there anymore. 
because somebody wrote a bigger check. Um, and that what may be good today, but it, on the long run, I'm not sure uh, um, it, it would sustain itself. But I'm out of the business now, so it's a little different or easy for me to say. Well, as we start to wind down on our, our show here on our 76 Capital Sports Leadership Show, David, this has been awesome having you on the show. Really love all your stories and all the things that you've done over your career um, and, and really helped build the sports business industry. I know it wasn't just you. You had, you had other people on your team. Um, are there certain people that, that, that were really helpful to you that helps you build Oh, no question. Uh, the Danny Raskins, the Tommy Whites, the Bob Felices, uh, uh, the Gary Latenders, uh, you know, each in their own way, whether it be Gary, uh, who's a CPA, who became in charge of operations, or Danny in sales, and Tommy and uh, sales, and everybody had a role. We, you talked about coaching um, here at Starter, we develop a team and we, all I did was try to coach a little bit. I wasn't out in the front lines in terms of say, selling. There was a lot of our people. Today, it's, you know, it's unbelievable to me that our products are being, the original products are being sold for 10 times for what they were sold uh, initially in terms of the vintage business. That, uh, I don't know, 100 or two, of starter employees have reunions. We were a culture that was very different uh, and I'm very proud of. I mean, we had great employees, whether it be a Sue Kasafi or a Terry uh, or, uh, you know, people, the little people really made a difference because of they cared. And today, a lot of people go through the motions, but I can tell you in my experience at starter, they cared. And whether that's a reflection of the players, the coach, or whatever, I don't know. But I can tell you that was that was certainly a catalyst to get us to uh, uh, where we were. A long way from uh, a few dollars to over seven hundred million dollars. That much I can tell you. Well, it was an amazing run, and everybody who get who get a chance to not only see, you know hear everything that you you've shared on this interview, but also the amazing compilation that the uh, Hall of Fame did from the um, the Sports Broadcasters Hall of Fame, or sports, I'm sorry, the Sports... Um, the National Sporting Goods Association. Yes, yes. They're, they're, that's an amazing honor being, being you know, named to that Hall of Fame. I, I was very proud of that because it came out of the blue. I mean, I never recognized, uh, you know, I, we just put our heads down, worked as hard as we could, and to achieve, be elected by... Uh, my peers and, and competitors, uh, it was really a terrific uh, honor and something I'll never forget. Well, everyone will get a chance to see that amazing, amazing video that'll be part of part of our show. We all can't wait to to read your book. And it's been, you know, quite frankly, David, it's been a real honor. It's been amazing to to get to know you over the years, to to spend time with you and, and Ruth Ann and your and getting to know Brad and some of the other people and you know other members of your family and. Uh, it's been it's it's awesome and and people need to listen and and hear and hear a lot of the things that you've just expressed and in because the world will be a better place if people will focus on you know, something I, I'll leave you with one philosophy that I that it may sound trite but it is if you really think about it it's simple and yet intriguing 
I have always said very simply, do what you say you're going to do. What do you mean? Show up on time. I'm going to get that rebound. I'll get the job. I'll be there. It's easy to say I'm going to get the job or I'll get an A on the test or I'll be be there. Just, you know, and I think doing it is something that's really important. And the proof is in the pudding. Absolutely. Absolutely. And wear what the pros wear, right? And look for the star. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining and, and hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you.